wonderful. Aren't you glad for the cross? Thank the Lord for that. Well, uh, I, I want to thank you for your patience through this time. We've had a, uh, you know, it's been a lot of adjustments, a lot of, lot of uh, new things that's going on right now. But I'm sure trusting the Lord that this thing's going to be over soon and won't be long until we as God's people will be back together again and in the house of God and be able to fellowship together. I know we're kind of confined by that, by the way that we're having to meet today, but I'm so glad you're here. Please continue to pray. I'm going to have to learn how to preach all over again when this is over because I'm so used now to preaching to six or seven or ten people. And when we get 1,500 or so back in there again, it's going to be a real adjustment. And uh, so, But I appreciate your prayers. Thank you for all the text messages we've been getting. And, and uh, the Lord sure has been good to us. And for that, we are grateful. All right. If you got your Bible, honk your horn. All right. Here we go. Please join me this morning over the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 3. 1 Peter, chapter 3 this morning. And I have an old Schofield Bible. If you do, that's page 1314, 1314 in the old Schofield Bible. I have one verse that I'm going to read this morning. And then I'm just going to ask, if you will, to leave your Bibles open and to follow me through this verse for our Easter message. I want to say a special word of thank you to all the people who has worked so hard, diligently over these recent days to help us to pull this off. And it took a lot of people, believe this or not, the platforms and the crosses and and the sound equipment, and then, of course, the parking and so forth. I appreciate all the hard work that's going into this, all the people that have worked here for that, and God bless you. And if anything happens today that's got any eternal significance, you'll share in that. Thank you for your kindness and being willing to help us uh, to pull this off today. Well, I thank God for the cross. This past Wednesday night, maybe what you don't know, is while we were on the live stream there in the building, we had a terrible storm that came through this area, and it was horrible. I mean, the wind was blowing like crazy, and maybe you got some of that, but right through here, it's really bad. And while the service was going on, the wind blew so hard that it actually blew two of these crosses down. Not the middle one, but the two outside crosses went down. And aren't you glad because of the one on the middle, the man in the middle, aren't you glad? Because of that, thank God, we have the opportunity to be a part of God's family today. God is so good to us. Well, let's have prayer. We'll get started with our text here this morning. Let's pray. Father, bless your word now. Thank you so much for letting us be together. I pray that you'd help me now for just a few minutes. God, help me to say what I need to get said and say it in a hurry. I pray and then I ask you to speak to our hearts. And if there's anybody listening on live stream today or watching or on Facebook or maybe somebody sitting here in this parking lot this morning that's not saved, I pray, Lord, this will be the day. What an unusual service. But, Lord, I'm glad that you can do great things in unusual ways. So please help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes you really don't have to say a lot to, uh, to say a lot. I've been trying to learn through the years that a sermon doesn't have to be eternal. Remembered, it'll be reproduced over and over again and will make a real impact on those who hear it. For instance, think about these ten words. The only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. That one statement made by Franklin Delano Roosevelt motivated our nation to band together and win World War II. What about these six words? Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall made by the president, President Ronald Reagan, which totally, those six words totally changed the whole tenure of the Cold War. And then what about these 11 words? 
That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind made by Neil Armstrong while stepping on the moon for the very first time. You see, just a few words can make the memory Hall of Fame because it's not the quantity of words that we say, but the quantity of the words that we say. Well, that's never been more true than with our text this morning. I knew we were going to be pushed for time, so I didn't look for a passage to preach from this morning. I just want to use just a verse And I guess maybe what we could really call this verse is the Reader's Digest form of the uh, the entire Easter story. Because this verse that I'm going to read in just a moment contains only 32 words, and yet this verse of 32 words has the entire Easter story in it for us. So look now at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. The Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but, uh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now believe this or not, what I've just read to you is the entire Easter story, at least from heaven's viewpoint. You know, we have the Gospels. I don't know if you've ever noticed this while reading through the Gospels, but it seems like when the Gospels first began, they really take off. And I mean, just their foot's on the gas, all four Gospel writers. I mean, they're talking about, you know, the birth of Christ, uh, Matthew and Luke does. And then we just fast forward to uh, to the baptism at the age of 30. And then we move forward to the miracles and all that Jesus did. But when we hit that final week of his life, it's almost like the four gospel writers just put the brakes on. And and they begin to slow down because really they had much to say about the, uh, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know, they talk about the arrest and the betrayal, the trial, and the death of Jesus once suffered for sin. You know, ever since the beginning of time, we've been taught that the only way that God could be approached was through the death of an innocent sacrifice. I mean, you go all the way back to the beginning of time, to the first people that were on the earth. I'm talking about Adam and Eve, which would be our great, great, great grandma and grandpa. They sinned in the Garden of Eden, and God, to, to cover up the result of their sin, killed a little innocent animal and wrapped them in the skins of an innocent sacrifice. We move from them to their children, Cain and Abel. Adam had no doubt their daddy had set them down by the campfire at night and taught them what God had taught him about approaching him. Those boys one day grew up and it come time for them to worship God on their own. And as they do so, in comes Cain with a basket of fruits and vegetables. I'm sure it was a sight to behold. I'm sure it was a beautiful basket. And yet we understand that God rejected the offering of Cain because it didn't have one drop of blood in that offering. Next comes Abel, and under his arm is a little, a little lamb, and he pulls a knife out of his sheath and draws it across the throat of that little lamb. And as he does so, the blood gushes out and runs down upon that altar. And the Bible so says uh, God accepts the offering of Abel. God was teaching them, and not only them, but God was teaching all of us that the only way to approach him, to be near to him, to be right with him, uh, uh, right with him would be through through the blood of an innocent sacrifice. All throughout the Old Testament, in the, into the days of the New Testament, lambs were raised, not for the purpose of getting their wool, but for the purpose of sacrifice. 
day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, priests uh, were in the constant habit of sacrificing animals so that the sin of people could be put aside for another year. I'm told that on the, uh, day, of a, uh, the day of Passover in the days of the Lord Jesus that more than 250,000 lambs were slain in a one-week period by hundreds of priests and as they did so, the blood would run down from the temple mount, down the sides into the valley of, uh, of Gethsemane, into the brook of Kidron, turning the water into a blood red. All of that was done so that man could be right with God. But then, thank God, enter the day that Jesus came into the world. There on the banks of the Jordan River, John the Baptist, while baptizing, said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And as God's Lamb, Jesus had come to pray the supreme price, uh, the ultimate sacrifice, not to set aside our sins for just a year, but thank God to wash our, away our sins forever and forever. Maybe the key word of verse uh, chapter 3, verse 18, is the word that we miss right over and it's the word once. We read these words, for Christ also hath once suffered. That, that word once doesn't mean like once upon a time but it means once and for all. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross of Calvary was a once and for all payment. It was a once and for all sacrifice. He permanently took care of our sin. He provided the remedy for sin once and for all. You may remember that while Jesus was on the cross, one of the things that he said is, it is finished. Jesus didn't say, I am finished, because he wasn't finished. But he said, it is finished. And the it that he was talking about was the payment, the sacrifice once and for all for sin. Hey, Jesus on the cross didn't make a down payment on sin, and you and I have to make the monthly installments. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he paid in full the debt of our sin. And bless your heart, we don't have to lift a foot nor a finger to help God save us. The work is finished because of the permanent sacrifice of God's dear Son. That's right, because of Easter we have a permanent sacrifice. But the story continues because we read not only that Christ hath also once suffered for sins, a permanent sacrifice. Now we come to understand that he is a perfect substitute because we read these words, the just for the unjust. Now believe it or not, if you'll look at that phrase, the just for the unjust, those two words, just and unjust, represents two groups of people that are, that are upon planet Earth. For instance, when we read the word just, we come to understand that's a reference to all the people who have ever lived who were absolutely perfect. In fact, some of the synonyms for the word just are the words good, pure, blameless, faultless, and sinless. Now, I think everybody in here, out here today, will agree with me when I say that only one person falls into that just category. His name is Jesus. Jesus was all of that and so much more. Jesus came into this world and lived on this earth for 33 years, and as he did so, he never committed not one sin. He was the perfect, perfect sinless Son of God, not one dirty thought. Not one act of disobedience, not one lie, not one time did he ever take anything that didn't belong to him. Not one time did he ever disobey his mama or his earthly daddy Joseph. He was perfect, 
He was just. But then we read of that word unjust. And that word unjust represents all the people in the world who are not perfect. I, I, some of the synonyms for the word unjust are these. Wrong, sinful, bad, and guilty. Now I'll tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, that takes care of everybody that's listening to my voice this morning. He was just and we are unjust. In fact, can I tell you this? You and I are found right here in this verse of Scripture. I mean, God came close to calling our name this morning when he said that Christ suffered, the just one suffered for the unjust. Jesus suffered for me and Jesus suffered for you. He suffered as our substitute. Now, if you'll notice that phrase there that he suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. I want to tell you something. Volumes could be written about that word, that word suffered. Volumes could be written about that because contained in that word suffering is the betraying, the binding, the beating, the bruising, the battering, the bludgeoning, the belittling, the bleeding, the blaming, the bullying, and the burying of God's Son. Can I tell you something? He didn't have to suffer for us. No, sir. He could have called the legions of angels down from heaven to rescue him from the situation of the cross and march all of humanity straight to the battle of Armageddon and consigned us and condemned us to hell forever and forever and ever. But Jesus said, I love you too much. In fact, I'll tell you what Jesus was saying on the cross of Calvary. Hear me and hear me well. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, he was literally going to hell for us. Because what is hell? Hell is a place of thirsting. What is hell? Hell is a place of suffering. What is hell? Hell is a place of loneliness and abandoning. And Jesus went through all of that on Calvary. Jesus suffered your hell and he suffered my hell on the cross of Calvary. But as he did so, in reality, what he was saying was this, I had rather go to hell for you than to go to heaven without you. Aren't you glad we got a Savior this morning who said, I'll take your hell. I'll take your punishment. I'll pay your price. I'd rather go to hell for you than to go to heaven without you. Oh, what love. What love beyond measure that Jesus demonstrated for me and you on Calvary. You know something in this walk of life, when we want to emphasize something that will never happen. For instance, you know, if somebody says, well, you know, this, this, this such and such may happen, we'll use a statement like this. We'll say this, over my dead body, that'll happen. I mean, we say that because we want to emphasize as far as we're concerned, that will never, ever happen. Can I tell you what Jesus was saying when he was hanging there on the cross? Hey, can I tell you what the just one was saying as he was dying for the unjust? Jesus was saying, you may go to hell, but you're going to have to go over my dead body. Amen. Aren't you thankful that we have a Savior this morning who is a permanent sacrifice, who is a perfect substitute, who looks at this lost and dying world, an unjust world, and he says this, I love you so much, you may choose to go to hell, but if you go to hell, you'll have to go over my dead body. Thank God for a perfect substitute. But now let's continue to read because we read not only in verse number 18 of a permanent sacrifice, we read not only of a perfect substitute, 
but because he, he gave the perfect sacrifice and became the, the perfect substitute, thank God we have a personal Savior. Now look again at verse 18. We read these words. For Christ also hath once, that is the perfect sacrifice, the permanent sacrifice, suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, the perfect substitute. But then notice this phrase, that he might bring us to God. Let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus became our personal Savior. Now can I take a moment and let me just see in the closing minutes of this service today how politically incorrect that I can be? Can I say to everybody in this parking lot today that none of us could get to God on our own? I mean, every time I tried to get to God, I kept running into the wall of my sin. Every time you try to get to God, you keep running into the barrier of, our, of your sin. We are barricaded from God by our sinfulness the obstacle of our sins. We need somebody who can take us and bring us to God. Once again, enter the Lord Jesus because He came as our permanent sacrifice. He, he came as our perfect substitute and He did all that in order that He might be our personal Savior. Now don't miss this. Jesus is the one, Jesus is the only one who alone can bring us to God. Nobody can do what Jesus has done. Nobody can bring you and me to God other than Jesus Christ. You know, I'm sure that if you're like me, that one of the things that you've tried to keep up with a little bit is all that's going on with this COVID-19 situation. And boy, we've heard, of some, we've heard of some great and historic and heroic uh, uh, episodes, people that have done great exploits throughout this entire process of this uh, coronavirus situation. But I heard about this one man, that, and when I heard his story, it really moved my heart. If I were to mention his name, most of us, if not all of us, had never heard of this man before this situation. His name was Don Berardelli. Most of us had never heard of that man's name. He lived over in the country of Italy. He was 72 years old, and he became sick with the coronavirus. He was then hospitalized and then took a dramatic turn for the worst. He became sicker and sicker by the hours. Well, this man, Don Berardelli, had some friends. And understanding the, uh, uh, the terrible plight that he was in and what he needed, they scraped together enough money to purchase a ventilator for their dear friend to be placed upon to save his life. They scrounged around. They gathered what little bit they got. They sold some of their possessions and bought, purchased a ventilator to save their friend's life. However, when they took the ventilator to this man and it came time to intubate him, he refused the ventilator. He said, I don't want that. Because he had heard about a younger man in the cubicle that was next to him that was very sick and in need of a ventilator himself. And since there was not enough to go around, this man, Don Birardelli, gave the ventilator that was supposed to be his, that was meant for him to save his life, he gave it up so that someone else might live. In a matter of just a few short hours, Don Birardelli died on March the 15th. 
When I read that story, I couldn't help but think about what Jesus did when he was on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus was dying on the cross of Calvary, Jesus gave up his life so that you and I might live. He came into this world and became infected by the disease of our sin. Though he never sinned, he became sin for you and for me. He then went to Calvary and refused to save his own life in order that he might save our lives. He gave up his life so that you and I could have life. Or, as I said a moment ago, Jesus went to hell for us so that he wouldn't have to go to heaven without us. He is, he is our personal Savior. Thank God for a permanent sacrifice. Thank God for a perfect substitute. Thank God for a personal Savior. But we're not done yet, almost. But would you look again at verse 18 and we read these words. The just suffered for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Then I'm going to have to quote this last part from memory. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Aren't you glad that he's still not a sacrifice hanging on the cross? Aren't you glad that death couldn't hold him? 72 hours after he died, God breathed back life into the dead body of his son. The Holy Ghost, that word spirit there in 1 Peter 3.18 is a capital S, signifying the Holy Spirit. And God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, came into that tomb the morning of the third day, and God put life back into the dead body of his son. The Holy Ghost breathed once again, just like he did in in Adam's day, breathe uh, the breath of life into the the nostrils of Adam, the Holy Spirit of God breathed back life into the dead body of God's Son. And Jesus walked out of that grave and said, I am he that was dead, but behold, I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. And he reigns today as the Savior. And thank God no coronavirus, no government mandate can change the fact that he's sitting on the throne of heaven and he's alive and he's well and he's living and he's our Savior today. Amen. Thank God for a powerful sovereign this morning. Now notice in our text, and we're done, the Bible said that the Spirit of God, that he was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive by the Spirit. Can I tell you something today? That same Spirit that put life back into the dead body of God's Son after 72 hours is the same spirit and the same power that lives within the the breast of every one of us as God's people. I know I'm speaking to people today, and you've been out of church now for weeks, and, and thank you for watching the live stream, but can I tell you something? I know you've struggled with some of your weaknesses, and I know you've struggled in the area of your failures, and I know that you, you've struggled in the areas of the battles that you fight. And maybe there's somebody sitting right here today and you just say, Preacher, I, I just find myself going right back into it over and over and over again. What you need to realize, there's a power that lives on the inside of you that can help you. The same power, the same Holy Spirit that, that breathed back into the nostrils 
of, of, the, of the, the dead body of the Son of God is the same power that lives in you. You don't have to live in defeat. You don't have to live in misery. You don't have to live in weakness. You don't have to keep going back over and over and over again to that same sin. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a power available to us that will enable us and help us to live victorious in these days. Listen, I want to encourage you this morning. You can't do it by yourself. I can't do it by myself. The good news is you don't have to. There's a power within you that will help you to live and overcome whatever it is you face in life if you'll just rely upon the power of God. So Jesus, he's our permanent sacrifice. Jesus, he's our perfect substitute. Jesus, he's our personal Savior. And Jesus, he's our powerful sovereign. And he lives today and he reigns so that us as God's people can have victory as we live out these last days. I want you to bow your head with me, if you will, all over the parking lot this morning.